everyone. Welcome to this new episode of Caroline Talks. I'm your host, film critic and journalist, Caroline Hines. And this is the podcast last YouTube channel where I speak to film creatives from around the world about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I'm joined by director and writer Anastasia Jung to talk about her feature film, A Light Never Goes Out, which I think is a beautiful film about talks about nostalgia, about memory, and I think also about honoring not only the people in our lives, but our cultures and the things that define our cultures and communities and homes. So this film is about the neon lights of Hong Kong. If you've seen any Hong Kong action film or any drama, um, like they're synonymous with Hong Kong and this and like their film and industry. But there is a law that's been passed in Hong Kong where the neon lights have to come down and people either have to re-register for them or put up LED lights. So the film centers on the almost dying culture of this so I'll, I can't wait to talk to Anastasia about this because me being a fan of Hong Kong films <laughs> um, I've noticed there's a difference in the landscaping of the film so we'll definitely get into that so thank mm-hmm. you so much Anastasia for joining me today to talk about your thank film you interview. so I always like to ask my, my guests to say a bit about what got them involved with um, their career path like for you writing and oh. directing what led to you to choosing this particular career path, especially as a woman? I always, I'm always interested, like what makes, especially female directors, you said, you know what, this is my passion and I'm going to pursue it. So for you, what led to this point that we're at right now? Um, actually, now uh, this is my first feature film, so it's uh, like um, the first step of like really attaining what I wanted to do. But um, I have always been a film lover or drama or story lovers. But in my uh, during my young ages, I didn't have a very clear. Um, direction or target that I wanted to become a director because um, I have watched a lot of good films and thought that only genius can be directors or filmmakers. So I think by that time I would think, oh, I, I, I'm I not a genius, so I can just, uh, I, I'm just happy to be a, a film lover or audience. But uh so I work on other things like TV productions, on uh, travel programs, and also film distribution. So uh, selling film as a product rather than creating it. And it, but uh, I think there is the passion for films, or there is a call for me uh, when I had the chance to uh, direct my first short films, which is uh, a film about transgender. Uh, a love story of a transgender person and that short film did change my mind and because that made me feel that it is really what I wanted to do and because of that call was so strong that I really decided to jump into uh, the film industry as a starting as a freelancer and starting off doing different things, producing advertisement, short video, short films, and then start writing for um, TV drama series and mm. other things and films. Then now and and now nowadays I can have a chance to um, direct my own first feature. Mm, um, it's interesting. You you've had quite a career path, and I do have to say it's interesting that you said you're uh, dis- you worked as a distributor because I not too long ago interviewed another um independent oh. female distributor here in Toronto her name is uh-huh. Akitaka Batake she has yeah. um she she has a company called Momo Films and okay. so she does independent um distribution for Japanese films so I'm like oh look another female film distributor you're the second one I've ever met uh-huh. okay <laughs> so is I think is I think it's great that you went from that 
from doing mm-hmm. distribution to then doing small films to then doing feature films because um, I think having that knowledge of the industry from mm-hmm. the perspective of, an, of a distributor yeah. definitely does help you to understand mm-hmm. it better and then to understand your path as a as a filmmaker, especially like mm-hmm. getting it distributed and picked up at a, at a film at film festivals like the New York Asian Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So talk about the similarities um, and the differences that you've learned throughout the year. Well, not similarities and differences, like the challenges that you had as a distributor, but the challenges that you had, how they helped you as a filmmaker now? Mm, okay. Um, actually, uh, when I work in the distribution uh, industry, um, I had a way of looking films in a very dif- different perspective because it's uh, their films are looked at rather like a product, but um, it's also that then I know what, what will attract audience in when when i work in the distribution and also at that time i had chance to read a lot of scripts i think that's also and and made a lot of analysis of scripts for uh, for the distribution company and analysis if the film shows the markets or not and what's the major attractions of the film so that kind of trainings may um, gave me the knowledge of what audience or what distributors look for in a film when it is looked at as as a as a product um, so to speak mm-hmm. and, but also I read a lot of good scripts and accumulate uh, the knowledge of ana- analyzing a good script and gradually I started learning to write scripts myself mm-hmm. so so that's a that's an important experience for me too yeah. Right. And did that help with the writing and the making of a light never goes up because you knowing what the audience wants and like what helps with distribution and what like, you know, mm-hmm. like it will be easily picked up. Did that all, not only because you made this phenomenon because of the nostalgia and the sentimental mm-hmm. and the cultural significance of it that I think it has. But did you also think, OK, you know what, a film about this particular subject will do better now in the market than if I perhaps do it like maybe five, six years later on down the road. Did, did that help in the in your decision to make the film at the time that you did? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Because I, I chose this subject because a lot of reasons. Firstly, because um, from the creative perspective, I would like to um, choose a, a visual motif for my mm-hmm. film, which makes it stand out from other Asian films, um, which makes it stand out at a film of of Hong Kong. So I wanted the audience to look at the poster and to study the subject matters. Why the way they recognize this is a Hong Kong film, not film from Japan or, or Singapore or Taiwan. So this is my first, um, I think this, uh, way of looking of what subject matters I choose did, um, come from the experience of being a distributor. So that because when, when working in the distribution, we identify films from, from very, uh, recognizable icons or elements, then we can tell, oh, this film is from which country or which regions and which will attract what kind of audience. So did, did, that might influence me making this choice. And uh, mm-hmm. secondly, because uh, uh, as you have just said, uh, Neon Lights has been a very um, iconic uh, and important element, not just representing Hong 
Kong the city, but also representing Hong Kong cinema. Because uh, in a Brooms Day, all the uh, Hong Kong movie has a background of neon light. So to me, it is so sad that we never have a popular movie talking about neon light and make it as the protagonist, the main character of 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 uh, of the film. So I think it's a bright timing, and there should be a film um, talking about neon light. Uh, and and Hong Kong films. So uh, this is also one of the reasons that I want to choose this subject matter. And then the thirdly is because sadly, um, the neon signs in Hong Kong are now being taken down. And if you come to visit Hong Kong now, there are less and less of them can be seen as compared to it blooms day. So I think it is a critical moment that um, we should some images of these cityscapes as a record of this visual culture or else there won't be any chance uh, later in in uh, later on because they are uh, like every day there they there neon signs being taken down in Hong Kong now so I guess they sadly they will be disappear soon from in the city so um, yeah I have to like run for the deadline before it's too late. Hmm, yeah, like the, I was just looking at the poster, and the thing about the poster, it does give me a very Hong Kong feel for it. Like I think mm-hmm. um, you and your designer did a fantastic job because it does. For one thing, you look at it, and I, I'm like, first of all, this looks like a Hong Kong action action film poster because <laughs> there's a very particular look and feel to these posters. Not only because you have the the lights, but the there's light. always like there's always this grittiness and this intensity in Hong uh-huh. Kong um, <laughs> posters. Oh, <okay. laughs> and you and you but the thing is like for this film that that grittiness and intensity comes from a very unexpected place it's more about the it's giving a sense of loss because i love yeah. how it's like at the bottom you is mm-hmm. like an in it's like the reflection of the character leo and then i guess also the character bill like standing in in like silhouette and like there is like at the bottom is like his silhouette is reflecting in um the lights but then above it's like it looks yes. almost like an apocalyptic setting you know like if this was yeah. a film Look at yeah. this, you would think it's the apocalypse. And to someone, yeah. some people would say, oh, like that's too like dark. But I'm like, it kind of does make sense that it has an apocalyptic feel because you're like, yeah. what is society? What would society look without light? You know, what would society look without something bright and hopeful? Because one of the things that I've always loved about the particular feel and look of Hong Kong films because of this lighting is that, for instance, if you watch like, a lot of the old action films, the action is, is super intense and violent, but you got all of this pretty lights and it creates this beautiful juxtaposition that you don't mm-hmm. find in uh, films from anywhere else. Yeah, and yeah. you're losing that. Like, And I'm yes. just like, when I was watching the film, I just kept thinking, wow, like the city is getting darker and darker as each yeah. light gets taken down. And so I want you to act, to talk about the exploration of, and the juxtaposition of light versus dark in this film because you're, the, the, to me, the sense of, darkness has two meanings it's about the darkness setting in on the city because the lights are being taken on but it's also about the loss of memory you know like when you lose someone because the main mm-hmm. story of this mm-hmm. is the character bill dies and his wife um um Hong kong which i thought was such a brilliant way to name the character because she is hong kong <laughs> but <laughs> i love that noticing that <laughs> i love that you named her hong kong because she's representing the city itself losing the light because her husband yeah. built, he was yeah. a neon maker. He's a craftsman and he died and her light went out, you know, like she lost the light because he used to turn on the light for her every yes. time like, before. So he provided right. that light for her physically, but also emotionally. 
And yes. so she's lost that, and Hong Kong is losing its light and its craftsmen because as the yeah. is dying out, the craftsmen are dying out. There's not really many people to replace them. So talk about that juxtaposition of light versus dark, but the light versus dark has more to do with memory and loss and love. Mm-hmm. Thank you for summarizing uh, the major like uh, <laughs> messages and my intentions for making this film. Yeah, yes, actually, um, um, the film actually wants to talk about lost uh, as a as a major message and theme because um, on a personal level, the lady may um, Hong or Hong Hong Kong. Um, she's losing her husband and she's in grief. So for her personal level, she lost the love of her life. But at the same time, it's just opposed with uh, the situation with the city, the Hong Kong city itself, which uh, lost the uh, uh, vibrant life uh, that it is, very, it is very proud of before. So on these two levels, I want to make a linkage between um, how uh, how we should deal with um, loss when we lost something very precious, no matter it's on a personal level or on a, a wider scale uh, of the loss of a city. How should we like deal with that that emotions of void and the emotion of darkness? And it's like how we can once again light up the light and navigate this dark tunnel. So uh, the story is like mainly built around this this journey of searching and facing and how to how to face loss uh as a in a in a larger sense so um i think um through uh for for the main character uh her kong she's um um she actually uh, searched for the light and want to remake a light that was demolished and made by his husband. And through the journey, um, she is trying to light a light for for her own uh, emotions, for mm-hmm. her own loss, so that she still have her power or st- still have a, an energy or hopes to carry on, even though she lost her husband. It's like transforming um, the memories or the lost memories or the lost love into something new with the participation of the protege of, of her husband. So it's hmm. over like a journey um, of going out from from the darkness. Yeah, yeah. It's it's to me when I was watching the film, I just kept thinking about how for all of us, like whenever we're having maybe it's whether either you lose someone that's close to you or a friend or even a job or like a a dream, you know, like for instance, you aspire to do something you never you were never able to accomplish it. Yeah. Like with Ambil, like he had this yeah. thing that he had wanted to make it kind of made me think about how when we have like people always talk about the five stages of grief and all of this but the thing is is like when you have lost some yes you process the emotions um Mm -hmm. mentally and you know like you do all of that in your head and in Mm -hmm. your heart but sometimes you need a tangible reference Mm -hmm. for that memory you need you need to have something to hold on to to make sure that you don't lose it you know because like our memory fades over time no matter how hard we try our memory phase yeah. and like sometimes when the sun is the only thing we can remember about someone is like a smell you know remember like how someone's yeah. like I still remember how my grandmother smelled and how she sounded mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. sometimes picturing her face is like hard you know but I can yeah. still yeah get that intense smell and like for her it's the signs you know she has these very tangible and these very visible okay. signs um representing mm-hmm. 
her husband and their relationship, the journey they had all of these years. And each of these things symbolize a certain point in their relationship. And she she's trying so hard to hold on to that. And I think it's kind of like amazing that you have the character of Leo. Let me get the name played yeah. by um, Henrik Cho. I, I he was fantastic. I think yeah. I think his um, chemistry with Sylvia was so good because yeah. he's like a, this lost little boy, you know. And he kind he's kind of symbolizing not that he's replacing her daughter, but he's he's I think a a, a representation of Bill when Bill was younger because yes, she met yeah. Bill when he was already a craftsman. You know, yeah. but Lee was now learning. And so yeah. she's getting to see a bit of Bill um, before, before she ever met him. Her, so like, yeah. Leo, to me, kind of represents yeah. who Bill was before she met him. Yeah, exactly. And also, just that you said about tangible tangible things for um like as a as a symbol that we can hold on to our memories and also this film is talking about i think uh successions like mm -hmm. uh, transformation would be one of my uh not answers but um a kind of a, a direction that we can try to when facing uh what we lost is that we can have what elements or what uh, important um things that we can uh, we can take out from the past that we can still hold on to it and we can transform it into something new even though the old ones would be lost the old person would be lost the old craft of neon would be lost um and it won't be the same anymore but is that is that the end of everything or we can dig out something precious, something, uh, some essence of the craft of the persons that we can still carry part of it in our heart or in our life um, so that we can still have the, have the courage or have the force to continue our journey. Yeah, yeah. that's also part of uh, what the story wants to tell. So Yeah, it's about legacies, but I think it's about legacies in a, not in a typical way because for a lot of people especially for men you know when they say i want to have a legacy i want an ear and all of this because it's more about the ego you know fulfilling the ego yes. like i want a part of me to last but i didn't see that as a as a symbol of that i think i think of it in a terms of legacy as in like you like they don't want this art form to be lost this part of their culture yes. and their history to be lost but also this um this aspect of who they were as a couple like you know like they like light the literal light meant so much to them as a couple and like i always think there's this thing where like bill always made a wish and he um mm -hmm. and hung she didn't really believe in wishes but she just kind of mm -hmm. like humored him yeah but she but she, her him having this wish gave her a, a purpose you know, yeah. because for like a lot of spouses that like when they lose their spouse and their partner, they're kind of like in limbo. They don't know what to do, you know, like and like yeah. they don't know how do I go on. And so, like, yeah. I think for Bill, his wish was that her light never go out, you know, that her light never dimmed. And Leo was like the spark to relate her to relate her, yeah. you know, like to add in this thing. So I think that's the legacy that this film is about. And it's the same thing like with Hong Kong, you know, like you mm -hmm. need to you need like. For, I think for like cities and like, you know, we always talk about like cultural programs and a lot of things about cultural programs is to inspire the youth, you know, to see a 
a future and a benefit for themselves. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And I and like thinking about like the Hong, the Hong Kong government, they're not thinking with regards to like the cultural significance of these these lights. You know, they're yeah, just thinking yeah. about democratic like, like, stuff. But yeah. for like the regular people, like they're like, this is a part of who we are. This is a part of our identity. Yeah. People internationally, like Hong Kong is synonymous yeah. with massive neon <laughs> exactly. lights. And like my one of my bucket lists was also go to Hong Kong and yeah. walk the streets. And like I, I was watching the film, I was just like thinking, wait, by the time I make it to Hong Kong, there won't be any lights. Yeah. And I was literally Never. bummed. I got emotional because it was just like, wow. Yeah. It was just like, okay, wow. And like, so like there's that legacy. It's about the people who do care about passing on legacies. And then there are people who don't care about packing, yeah. passing on legacies. Yeah, that's that's true too, and um, um, I think it's also uh, about how the new generation can make a succession of this kind of lore's uh, important craft or culture that we, uh, we lost. Sometimes, um, I, I still hope these films can bring some kind of optimism, even though uh, the reality might be kind of doomed because the lies are already like taken down a lot. But mm-hmm. from my perspective, is that yeah, that is a fact that we lost it. But how can we still cap a part of it uh, and pass it to the younger generation so that the craft, the art itself can live on? So I think this is what uh, what the cultural lovers of Ho- Hong Kong's culture or filmmakers are trying to do as well. Yeah. Do you know if there's any been any petition to keep the lights? So because I read, was read, I read a couple articles about it, about the law and like how it's been impacting the city. And like there was a lot of mention about there's a lot of red tape for people like because the city is the one who tells the people you need to take your signs down and they have to get them taken down. And like if they want to either put back up the original signs or make new ones, there's like a lot of red tape for them to go through. So it's like just this bureaucratic um, red tape that's preventing these people from keeping this part of their cultural life. Do you know of any, like perhaps any petitions to the government to say, can we keep these lights? Can we bring them back and make them a cultural landmark? You know, because I kind of see them as that, like a cultural landmark. Mm, yeah, there actually there are a few um, organizations uh, run by only citizens, but not official uh, government departments trying to uh, use their ways to preserve this, uh, the neon light culture. For example, there are organizations who uh, collect all the um, demolish the signs and gather them so that one day can be shown uh, in art exhibition. For example, it's just like there uh, neon museum in Las Vegas kind of but is is run by only a personal level or by only by citizens rather than the government but I think um on the political level or policies level it's difficult to convince the government to re- to change the regulations but um, I also still see some positive uh, trends that when it's like when the when the film a light never goes out um, went out and related there are a lot of cultural like uh, articles or uh, talks about it and then it kind of generates a trend that people start to um, care about this culture and then for example there are uh, some um, there are some old signs of some old shops which were taken down and there were citizens going there to farewell them and take photos of them. And this action made, uh, made the shop owner realize that their signs are loved by the Hong Kong citizens. So they decided to spend extra money and go through extra procedures to rebuild a new neon sign, which is um, 
much smaller than before, which because of uh, the regulations require yeah. them to be smaller. But still, I, I, I see that as very positive um, trend that still the signs are being rebuilt. At least we can keep part of it, even though it's not as like as big, as glamorous as before. So these are the late, latest trend that I, I saw, which has a positive meaning on the culture. Yeah. And there are also um, young artists like uh, the, uh, the Leo in the film. There are young artists who is now learning the craft, trying to uh, create new art piece using uh, neons, although they might not be the same form as before, uh, not a large size on the street, but they transform them into, into smaller art pieces to be shown in exhibition or to be a part of interior designs. I, I see this way also uh, ways of transforming the old beauty of the neon signs and and let it live in another another form. Yeah, because uh, I saw at the end of at the end of the film, like they're in the post credits, like as the credits are rolling, there's like um you have like homages to like the yeah. Uh, craftsmen oh, like craftsmen. some those who were doing it for 50 60 years yeah. and some who've been doing it for 10 and then long learning and, and and like and the things I've seen like some of these art pieces like online and stuff like some of them I actually recognize like there was the one that was like the 3d art things I saw mm-hmm. pictures of that on um online as well as there's an artist that does like modern variations of that for like pieces yeah. that's been using like music videos and stuff and these are ways to preserve and kind of modernize these um these art forms because it is an art form because it takes so much work and it takes so much yes. vision especially mm-hmm. if, i think for a language like um like mandarin and cantonese because yes. it's so like it's yeah. like art, you know <laughs> in itself it's calligraphy and it's so much yeah. and it's art and i was just thinking in my head it would be great if the government itself could like commission these artists to make installations i put around the city it was like while the science may be gone at least put some mm-hmm. installations mm-hmm. around um, and in speaking about the different art firms, I want to talk now about the uh, some of the characters. So, like, there's the daughter Prism, um, mm-hmm. and her she's played by Cecilia Choi, and her character is interesting because she frustrated me a bit at first. <laughs> like, she's not talking to her mom; she's not communicating. She's planning to go all the way to Australia and hasn't yeah. informed her mom. And I got the sense at first that she felt very disconnected from her from her family but also from her fiance but then as the film went on I was wondering how long was she like that was it only when her dad died and this is just her locking off her emotions because of grief or is this something that extended before because mm-hmm. I kind of saw it as like she was being affected by the lack of light too because the funny thing is that I have um what's called seasonal depression and mm-hmm. that's like where you know like you I you get I get very depressed when outside is very gray especially in winter and like uh, the lack of sunlight actually affects the mood and I yeah. kind of saw her as like that whereas she she kind of lost her light as this light started as the lights came down more and more as the city got darker and darker she kind of mm-hmm. got darker and darker the same way and then she only lit back up again when, when her mom and Leo made that side so I want you to talk a bit about prism and I love that you named her prism because of prism of light and all of that so talk about her um, Prism is a character like um, almost like an antagonist as mm-hmm. as opposed to her mother uh, Hung. And uh, actually, uh, I want to through these two characters, I wanted to depict uh, different versions of undergoing grief. Actually, mm-hmm. there were versions like uh, Hung that she 
like uh, she missed her, her husband a lot and tried to do a lot of things to the to the extent that she is a little bit obsessive to doing doing things that people think is not realistic or pragmatic rather um and as opposed to her prism is a more pragmatic person and she thinks in more um realistic form that she thinks that it's not good for her mom to be mm-hmm. fall into such a dis- depressive state so what she do is uh she wants her to become normal again but by doing that she ignores her mother's feelings of missing her her father and as for herself actually she is undergoing grief as well but she didn't notice it it's like um she there is a form of grief that when people miss the person um they the loved one they lost, they will fall into a more numbling status so that they didn't actually feel the pain or it is because of the pain is so strong inside the, then they, their psychological state automatically, automatically tries to protect them by, by making them uh, being very distant and dis- and remote from the from the feeling so that's the state she was in and then gradually through um like convincing her mother not to continue running the neon workshop of her father but um being keep influenced by her mother and also Leo's, she gradually picked up something she suppressed it very long ago and finally she find find some ways to release um that kind of grief. So I wanted to talk through that two characters that um, grief is not there. There's only there's not only one way of grief. There are many like different styles and many uh, different situations when people are facing their grief. So that's um, that's what I do when I that's what I know when I do some research on people undergoing uh, losing their loved ones. So I want to depict different kind of grief, grieving processes in, in the theme. So at first she might look very um, remote or, or, or cold-blooded in some sense, but I just want to share that, oh, then there might also be a state or psychological um, uh, status when someone lost someone so, so important to them. Yeah, and I talked about how I I kind of saw her as kind of like also representative of like the the city becoming darker and, and gray. So I wanted and and you say it's also about her men, her mental state because of the her, her grief and not processing it. So the interesting thing about her is I was paying attention to her wardrobe. So like when we first like know her, she's wearing like a lot of gray, a lot of white, a lot of neutral. <laughs> yeah, so she kind of like she works in office build. She works in an office building and she's an architect and she's yeah. kind of inspired by her dad's work, but she yeah. doesn't really realize it because like yeah. he has to do a little bit of architecture for his yeah. work. Yeah. And she becomes an architect, but she could kind of almost blend into the background of of the of these of the offices, office. you know. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. she could blend in because she's dressed like the furniture, and I love yeah. that you're a costume designer dressed her that way. But then at the end, just like the city, this part of the city gets relit yeah. because of the signs that Bill made. Her costume actually becomes brighter too. Like her, she starts to wear more colors, and she's incorporating colors. So I want you to talk about working with your costume designer for this, but um, because I the colors, I think color plays a very important part in what the characters mm. wear. So talk about that um that technical aspect of the film. 
Oh, actually, yeah. Um, you have made a very just like um, um, notice of what we designed for the clothing is that uh, Prism is a character that she is uh, more. Um, I think I think not only her, but also the whole film. I wanted the color tone to be at first a very gray tone, especially when we uh, depict the current time. So. Mm -hmm. All the characters and the background and the home are uh, short and depicted in a gray, grayish um, color, more washed out color, which reflects the reality of the city itself, which is losing its light. As, as opposed to uh, during the old times, the costume and everything are much more colorful because uh, in our memories, they are full of neon lights. And I also did some different color grading for that period. I uh, asked my color graders to do um, a specific effect on the colors, which resembles the Technicolor tone, which is pinkish and so that it will generate a not nostalgic tone of that period and um, I think this also it is related to the city to the period but also to the psychological state of each characters so when uh, at the uh, very first um, first half of the film they are in a very doomed uh, psychological state themselves by losing um like her losing her husband, Prism losing his father, and also uh, Leo losing his uh, master, and he doesn't have a direction for his life. So everybody is in a more um, gray and wash out tone. And as the films go on, in the during the journey of uh, the the search of lights, then the color starts to come back on the costume, but also on the background and the color grading itself. So yeah, it's a uh, from 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 dark to uh, colorful and light yeah mm. yeah the color uh, i i love looking at costuming in films because i learned so much about the characters and the colors they wear and like kind of like what you like the filmmaker is thinking about the about their the characters themselves and the story mm -hmm. they're telling and another thing that's tied into the color and the story that's being told is i talked about leo bringing light back into um into Hong's life but uh, the thing about Leo he kind of broke my heart because he's I think he's also not only a representation of like Bill's legacy and like a way mm -hmm. for um Hong to reconnect with her memory of Bill and like to have mm -hmm. uh, to see a future for herself but he's also a representation of a lot of the young um, and like Yes, yeah. young people who are living in the there's uh, so many people in Hong Kong living below the poverty line because the cost of living mm -hmm. is going up and yeah. like, there's limited space because I was just I, ironically enough or coincidentally enough I had been watching a documentary about this on YouTube like a couple of days yeah. before I watched yeah. the film and it was talking about the subdivided flats yeah, in Hong yeah. Kong and like Leo is a representation like of Coffin. <laughs> he, he has more space and freedom living in the workshop than if he had to live in a subdivided by the flat yeah. these guys are more expensive you know yeah. they cost so much money but it's like people have barely they don't even have room to stretch out and he's a representation of the struggles of so many young people because people think look at young people say oh they have their the whole world in front of them you know mm -hmm. they're young they're agile they're healthy and it's like oh they're struggling these young people are struggling mentally yeah. they're struggling with depression they're struggling with poverty they're struggling with finding work you know and yeah when, when they do get work the money they're making isn't enough 
to sustain them, you know? So there's like all of this. So talk about Leo, because I think it's so important that you show this part of him and like Mm -hmm. the revelation about what was going on with him. Like it broke my heart because when I realized what he was doing, I was like, Oh no, Uh (laughs) but you know, it's like, you know, people are expected to keep it this facade, Mm -hmm. you know, of always being positive and all of this are, you know, like, like you, you really don't know what people are going through. So talk about Leo, because I think he's so important as a character. I think to me, he's Mm -hmm. probably the most, um, I think he's he's the centerpiece for the entire film because he brings all of these characters together. Yeah. But even as he's bringing everyone together, he still he still has so much that he's uh, that he needs to deal with. Yeah, actually, I wrote uh, the character of Leo based on many reali- realities of the young people in Hong Kong who is also um, in a status of loss mm-hmm. because they they feel confused, they feel lost, they didn't know uh, what is the future and what should they do. They don't have a clear path of about what they should achieve because uh, life is not easy and also. Um, it, I, I mean, in Hong Kong now, um, the the future is unclear. Is for for especially for youngsters. Oh, what should I do after graduation? Uh, my parents, my teachers told me to study well, but but what next? After study well, there's no are there are there opportunities? Are there a clear path for me to to follow onto? They didn't know about it, and they feel very lost. So for them, um, I uh, through Leo, I want to depict this kind of um, sentiments of loss during uh, am- among the youngsters. They are they are they are asked to do a lot of things. They are they are being they inherit a lot of expectations from mm-hmm. from from the parents or from the teachers, but they themselves they cannot get any guidance or answers from from them. So they they are in a a state of loss. And one point about Leo is that um, a, a little point is that um, he is a character who is never graduate, which means he never undergo a proper graduation ceremony. And this is based on also a real story that uh, in Hong Kong, actually, um, the uh, young people who was born in 1997, mm-hmm. they have never uh, undergone any graduation ceremony due to um like SARS and 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 other disease uh, at each period of their of their school life. So it might be just a very little tiny details, but for me, if uh, I thought if I were in their shoes, I would feel that I have a very incomplete life. That uh, because not going through a graduation means that uh, what I have done was not recognized. Yeah, at all. From, from start to the end. So there is a strong feeling of loss or confusion in that, in this character that he feels that he never complete, he never accomplished anything in his life. So uh, these, um, I think this sense of uh, not accomplishing anything and this feel of inferiority builds the center of the character of Leo. And so he what he's long for is recognition from from father or mother. And he attains that from his master uh Bill, but yet sadly uh, he lost him very soon and he, uh, he he again lost the guidance in his life. And uh, so he has to try to find a way to achieve that 
to find again his direction through remaking the the last wish of his master. So the, yeah. uh, this this reflect a lot of um, status of Hong Kong youngster nowadays. Yeah, he he, he kind of like, as you were talking because it kind of made me think of how he and Prism are kind of similar in a way, but is is in a very interesting way because. He's younger than Prism and he's going through all of this, but he's going through so much and so much people don't know, but he has to keep this. He has to kind of like keep inspiring himself and also inspire him because like he was in such a devastating place when he met her, but he immediately realizes I need to yes. like make this woman think that everything is okay. You know, like he immediately puts on a smile and says, yeah. I'm going to inspire her and like in, in turn inspire myself. At, but he has nothing, you know, he has no job. He doesn't have any money. But the interesting thing between him and Prism is that Prism has all of this. She's learned yeah. from Bill. She was there when she was there as a child watching Bill work, you know, she mm -hmm. became a, a version of Bill becoming an architect. And she has all of these opportunities. She's moving to Australia. She has, she's able to, she's looking at leaving um, um, Hong Kong and moving to Australia with a fiance and building a life there. He doesn't even, he can't even uh, imagine mm -hmm. that kind of possibility. Yeah. And it's just thinking about how everything just comes down to luck. You know, like the opportunities that we have and how we should all be thankful for the opportunities we have because she has all of this, but she still can't be happy. You know, she's still yeah. not happy at the opportunity she has because like there's a scene where she talks about how her mom was basically complaining about being dizzy when she was graduating and when she was moving away. And as she was complaining, I'm like, your mom is obviously going to have a conniption because you're moving to a whole different country. When I immigrated to Canada, my mom was like, my mom was just, I was in a mess and my mom was in a mess. But like, that's a natural thing. And she was kind of perturbed by that. I'm like, her child is moving away. Like what parent wouldn't be yeah. like kind of like distressed about that. But then it's kind of just supposed with, um, with Leo not having those opportunities, you know, he wishes he had a mother who could have been there yeah, when he yeah. graduated. He wished he had an opportunity to go away to study or even just yeah. to study and yeah. continue his studies in Hong Kong, you know, like, so kind of like interesting where like you have these people with privilege don't even recognize the privilege that they have but they still complain about the small things that other people wishes that they, mm -hmm. like, he wishes that he had that kind of situation, but she, but she's just, like, perturbed by it. Yeah, I, I want to um, put uh, into this film different um, status of different generations in their society. So it's like um, uh, Leo reflects a, a certain generation and Prism is another um uh, slightly uh, elder than her, and then Harang is another elder generation. And as for Prism, I think you you just talk about she has all those privilege, but I thought she herself actually she had that kind of um, um, questions in herself, but she chose to not face them before because I think the origin of how she becomes a very pragmatic person was that. From a memory in the past that uh, she witnesses how uh, the the fall the downfall of the neon industry affects on her, her family's economy, which makes her didn't have enough money to complete her um, her degree uh, in university. So that makes her realize that although she has the love for the art of her father, but she also realized that if continuing doing this, she might she might also put the family in danger. So she decided to use a more as compared to her father, who is more idealistic in keeping the eye form, even though it means that he has to lose a lot of money or not able to maintain the economy of his family. She 
chose to be the one who 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 is more pragmatic. And so she, instead of choosing like uh, learning art, she chose to be an architect, which in her is part of it, but which but chose another career that that makes much more money than making neon noise. So so I think that's uh, kind of uh, interesting to building the different uh, aspects and and nuances among these characters. Mm, great. Um, we have to wrap it up, but thank you so much for speaking with me, Anastasia. Like, congrats on making such making such a fantastic film for your first feature film, and thank I can't wait so to much. see what else you do, and maybe, maybe, perhaps do an action film before all the lights are out. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for for interviews and the discussion. So everyone, that was another episode of Carolyn Talks, and today I was joined by writer and director Anastasia Sang to talk about her film, A Light Never Goes Out depicting the dramatic story of a neolite artisan and his passing and how that had an effect on his wife and his young apprentice and family. And while this film is very much about the character of Bill and Hong Kong, I just love that the character is named that. And Leo and Prism, I think it's so important that Anastasia made this film because it serves to me as a touch, as a sort of cultural touchstone and um, time capsule because it's talking about the removal of these neon lights in Hong Kong that are, are synonymous with the country like when you think of Hong Kong cinema you think of neon lights you know and it's sad to see that the government is not considering the cultural significance of these neon lights and how much they play a part in the identity of the city. Of course, I am not from Hong Kong. I've never been to Hong Kong, but I have always dreamed of going to Hong Kong, not only for the food and the sights, but also to see the lights because I'm such a fan of Hong Kong films and the actions, especially. Like it was, um, there's a scene in the fourth Ip Man film, the one with Max Zhang and Michelle Yeoh, where like there's this fantastic fight sequence taking place in um, a city street, and like the lights are there, the neon lights are there, and they play such a big part in how the fight scene is choreographed because the the characters are moving through the scaffolding and around the signs, and it plays such an important part in the cinematography of the film because the lighting is used to to as an effect for a lot of the sequences. And that happens in so many um, films like and those films those big those neon lights also play a big part in films like um 20 oh my gosh is <laughs> why am i drawing a blank but you know like blade runner the blade runner films like those neon lights are a, a significant part of the features of those films and like sequences were filmed in hong kong because of that and it's going to be, it's so sad to think that in a few years that all of them might be gone. And that is really sad. Um, but thank you so much to Anastasia for taking the time to talk to me and to all the artisans that are still holding out and still looking, I'm um, still training up and coming artisans in this craft. Because I think it's something very, I think it's beautiful, like, like Chinese and Hong Kong and even like Taiwanese and like all of these languages that are so artistic in their function being put into lights is so beautiful. Like they're complex languages and like, to see how these artisans take the time to like bend and mold and color the signs into their language is beautiful. But um, you can find this interview of course on my YouTube channel that's YouTube at, that's youtube.com slash at Carolyn underscore Hines. Find the links on my R3 page that's aurorry.com 
slash Carolyn Hines on my Instagram and Twitter accounts. That's at Carrie CNH12. That's C R R I E CNH12. I post links on all of my work on those platforms and um, I'm gonna make keep this short so like you as I mentioned my YouTube my R3 my social media what else um, I think that's it but um, this is for the New York Asian Film Festival which was at the end of July the beginning of August and then coming up in September is Toronto International Film Festival I'll be covering that as usual I'm also hoping to get some paid work because a girl is broke and I don't make any money from my podcast and my YouTube channel I do this strictly because I love it and it's been so hard getting more paid commission work recently pitches aren't being accepted i think i might have to do a special podcast episode to talk about the state of film criticism today and how hard it is for people like me who are freelancers i am not a staff writer so i don't have a set income i don't have a set number of pieces to write that i will be given by an editor to write like i rely solely on sending pitches and hoping they get accepted but and because the things are a bit financially tight for me and because tiff is coming up which is going to be a financial um endeavor for me i have created a gofundme so that's on gofundme and you can look up my name carolyn hines there's a tips there's the tip icon in my twitter account you can use that to donate for me and um i also i've been linking my paypal in my description boxes for youtube and for the podcast as well so that'll be paypal.me slash carolyn hines zero five two five so any and any any and everything that can be given i solely appreciate it i think you know i should be paid for my work <laughs> i think i'm a fan i think we're really good interview i've been told that repeatedly and i love this work and i i appreciate the people that take the time to talk to me but it also is a lot of work like the editing that i do myself um the posting i do all of it myself so any little bit that anyone can afford to give um, I greatly appreciate it and it will help me to continue to doing this work that I do but um, until the next episode of Karen and Talks everyone bye oh wait stay safe <laughs> until the next episode of Karen and Talks everyone stay safe bye